Welcome to the Compliance Time AML and Financial Crime Podcast. Here, you can learn from compliance experts, enthusiasts and creators who are contributing to the fast-moving and dynamic field of financial compliance. Hello everyone and welcome to the second of its kind Compliance Time special on Tornado Cash. Guest on this special is Ari Redbird from TRM Labs. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Hello Ari and welcome to Compliance Time. It's a real pleasure to have you on with us today and to discuss uh, Tornado Cash, which is the second special that we are going to hold on this topic. Denise, thank you so much for having me today. Really, uh, really honored to join the, the program. Awesome. So let's start with your perspective on the background of what really happened with Tornado Cash since you're in the U.S., you know OFAC. <laughs> um, so can you please just give us a, bit, a brief background? Sure. Yeah, no, no, happy to. And, and yeah, no, I, I, I do. Um, I, I did spend some time in the government before joining TRM Labs um, about two years ago. I, I spent about 11 years at the U.S. Department of Justice um, working on sort of illicit finance related issues, and then spent about two at the U.S. Treasury Department, where I worked with teams from OFAC um, and also FinCEN, which is the financial intelligence unit uh, within the U.S. So yeah, sort of diving right in um, to Tornado Cash. Um, look, I, I think context here is really important, and I appreciate the way you asked the question. You know, look, I think the way the Treasury um, has viewed Tornado Cash for some time is really as the go-to um, mixing service or really obfuscation technique used by North Korea in particular to launder the proceeds of hacks and and um, and other exploits. So that that was sort of the way that that Treasury was focused on on Tornado Cash. And really, the history of this goes back some some time. You know, Treasury has really tried to focus on sort of the illicit actors within the overall growing uh, crypto economy. For example. Uh, they've gone after uh, mixing services that advertise on the dark net. You know, one called Helix and one called Bitcoin Fog. Uh, they go have gone after non-compliant exchanges uh, like Suex and Chadex and Garantex. All of those Russian-based uh, that allowed illicit activity to flow through because they didn't have compliance controls in place. Um, and then dark net markets, right? Silk Road and Alpha Bay and Hydra. Um, so really, uh, we've seen this focus um, of these sort of illicit actors within the crypto space. And I think what made Tornado Cash really exceptional and different is that it wasn't just illicit actors who were using that service, but there were also uh, regular users who had reasons to keep their transactions private. And that's really sort of what is the significant difference between sort of all of the actions before from Treasury and DOJ and across the U.S. government and this recent sanctions action against Tornado Cash. What would you say about the sanctions program that they used? They designated Tornado Cash under Cyber 2, um, while they mentioned that there were links to the Lazarus Group in North Korea and things like that. Do you think there was other applicable programs that it would fall, the activity uh, of Tornado Cash would fall into for designation? Um, is Cyber2 sufficient for all the uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, illicit stuff that um, OFAC wants to designate? Um, so so it's, a great, it's a great question. And, and I think there's, there's important nuance there. First of all, look, you know, 
one thing that's sort of important going back a little bit, and that is when Lazarus Group, when, when North Korea attacked the Ronin blockchain um, and stole about $620 million, okay, um, I think that fundamentally changed the way that the U.S. government was approaching, um, you know, the, the use of sanctions in the crypto space. It really moved from sort of this issue of hacks uh, as financial crime, you know, stealing money uh, for, for, for greed or, or other purposes to really becoming a, a, a really true national security threat. Because when North Korea hacks an exchange, they're not just stealing money. And a hack is bad enough, right? I mean, people are losing their life savings. But when, when, when North Korea is involved, that $600 million is going to be used to fund weapons proliferation uh, and other types of destabilizing activity. So um, after the Ronin attack, uh, I think that, that that's when the National Security Council and the Treasury Department really started to focus on, all right, how can we stop North Korea in particular? And one of the ways to stop these hacks and attacks is to stop the ability to launder funds. And when Treasury looked out there in, in the world, they saw that North Korea was using Tornado Cash in particular in a really massive way to move funds. You know, according to TRM Labs, uh, North Korea has moved about a billion dollars in funds through Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash was involved in every one of the top um, hacks, uh, you know, by North Korea. So that was sort of the way Treasury was focused. And when you talk about sort of what was the right designation, look, there's a North Korea program, there's a cyber program. I think both probably fit here, um, but but I think you know cyber makes some degree of sense. And just to kind of finish that thought real quick, you know what's interesting about this is when I talk about Ronin and that attack, the first ever cryptocurrency address that. OFAC added to its SDN list, the specially designated nationals list, its sanctions list, was this was the address where the funds left the Ronin block, the Ronin bridge um, after that attack. And they 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 sanctioned that address because it was associated with North Korea and it was involved in this hack. And then um, clearly Treasury used blockchain analytics tools like TRM to track and trace the flow of funds. And what they saw was those funds go into three additional wallet addresses. So they added those to the list. They then watched those funds go through Blender.io, which is a centralized mixer, very different than Tornado Cash. Uh, and they sanctioned Blender.io. And then sort of like, you know, the real question was sort of, well, what is left here? What is sort of the biggest piece of this? And the way Treasury saw it was Tornado Cash. But again, the really important thing to understand from going from here is Tornado Cash was different because this sanctions designation, as opposed to the others, really ensnared regular users in a way that has not happened before. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting designation. And um, some people say it's a designation against technology. So um, OFAC is, you know, designating Tornado Cash, but it's just technology. And actually, yesterday, I saw in the FAQ that they were explaining that that's not exactly a designation of technology because U.S. persons are still allowed, for example, to teach or to show, um, you know, to, to still work with the tornado cash code um, and replicate. Um, what's your thought on this? Is this a designation against technology um, or, uh, yeah, how do you see it from your perspective? 
Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. And look, I think the um, the FAQs from yesterday are helpful. Um, and I would definitely encourage listeners to read those. Um, but yeah, the, the fourth FAQ talks about sort of, I think it's, it's, it's Treasury trying to make this distinction between, you know, what is speech type of activities and what is conduct. And I think what, what Treasury is trying to say here is that, you know, we're technology agnostic. What we are doing is we are using sanctions against conduct. And here the conduct was the laundering of funds by North Korea through tornado cash. What we are not sanctioning is the ability to, you know, for speech to engage with this, um, this uh, entity from a software perspective. Um, I think really more important when you're talking about the FAQs from yesterday, and I'm glad we're talking about them because to me, that's the new news in all of this to some extent. Um, one, I think real key is a lot of us for the last month or so believed that Treasury was not going to focus on those who received sort of small amounts, either inadvertently or, um, you know, or, 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 or you know, were, were sent small amounts of um, crypto from sanctioned addresses. And Treasury made clear yesterday that, look, we understand that this is a violation um, and should be reported. But the reality is that this is not going to be a priority for Treasury to look into these cases. Um, and I think that that is really important because, you know, look, Treasury can't sit, come out and say, hey, look, don't worry about it. Um, but what they can say is I think they, they got close to that line and said, you know, use language. We're not going to make this a priority. And what that really says to kind of regular users who have been victims, for example, of these dusting attacks when smaller amounts of cryptocurrency have been sent um, by a, a tainted address um, saying, hey, look, this is not going to be a focus. And I think that should hopefully give people some peace of mind um, and, and, and sort of helpful. So glad to see that there are some FAQs. There's obviously a lot more questions that people have um, in the space. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think there's definitely more to come. Yeah, that was really interesting. And um, I'm a person who doesn't have experience on the blockchain. So can you please just um, explain to us, the others that are in the traditional finance, what does it mean when you are uh, sent, this dusting attack comes to you and what's being blocked? Is it your whole address or is it the amount? I can tell you how it would happen if it was a regular transaction, for example. But I have no idea that is it the same when we, when it comes to the blockchain. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And the, the short answer is, yeah, it is the same. And I think it's so important to make those parallels to sort of traditional compliance. But I know that your listeners are compliance professionals. So I think one thing that's really important to explain here is that, look, you know, um, today, cryptocurrency, uh, you know, businesses, entities, protocols are using TRM to, um, to do transaction monitoring, to make sure that they are not engaging with illicit actors, with sanctioned um, addresses or entities. And um, they're using the, those tools in all kinds of different ways. Um, in terms of this sanction space in particular, um, really, you know, look, DeFi front ends, centralized exchanges, large and small are, are using tools to ensure that they are not transacting with a sanctioned address. I think what gets complicated in the tornado cash context, particularly from in the sort of DeFi protocol context, is that, um, you know, everyone is blocking or should be blocking those addresses that are actually on the SDN list, right? Those 45 addresses associated with Tornado Cash. Where it gets more complicated are sort of is, is, um, is when you sort of pull out a little bit, you know, should you be blocking those addresses 
that are associated that that are that have transacted with that that address, and some have transacted inadvertently. This idea of dusting, where small amounts have been sent to the addresses um, in order to essentially taint them, and what we saw in the days immediate days following tornado cash is that you know cryptocurrency businesses entities were uh, blocking those addresses because a lot of the sanction screening is automated, and uh, what I think we've seen since then is sort of a more granular approach where uh, very much like in traditional finance, where, yeah, you can automatically block the addresses on the list, but you want to understand a little bit more about those secondary transactions. You know, um, is it dusting? In other words, is it a tiny, tiny amount um, that was sort of incoming as opposed to an outgoing flow? Um, you know, if it's a larger amount, maybe it's something that 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 should potentially be blocked. Looking at the time, when did this happen is really important. So I think what you're seeing now is compliance professionals taking a little bit more of a granular approach into particularly kind of those secondary addresses, those that have transacted with those 45 tornado cash um, associated addresses. Yeah, and what would you say is most challenging um, when in terms of compliance and transaction monitoring with these current sanctions for the regulated entities that are you know, yeah. compliant yeah. with it. I think, I think what's challenging is that, you know, sanctions has always actually been pretty easy. I know that sounds crazy, but like, you know, uh, all of the addresses that have been added to OFAC sanctions list over the years until recently have essentially involved terrorist financing. Um, and look, if you are a DeFi platform, you don't want to be associated with the address that's on the sanctions list. But you know what? You also don't want to be at likely associated with anyone that address is transacting with um, because you don't want to be involved with someone who's sending money or receiving funds from a terrorist financier. Um, so automation has really always worked there in the sanctions context, right? Different than AML, but certainly in the sanctions context. And I think it's important to make that sanctions AML distinction because they are different. A lot of times we talk about AML and sanctions. But sanctions, there's different obligations, um, and there's also a different standard. Um, so I think it's important to sort of make that distinction. But it's always been automated. It's always been easy. And especially if you're a, a, a smaller you know, DeFi protocol, for example, you probably don't have the compliance controls in place like a Coinbase or an FTX or, or whomever, right? So um, you, you wanted that process to be automated. I think in the age of Tornado Cash, where there's all of these sort of regular users who have been impacted by it it becomes much harder. And I think that what we're seeing is entities uh, take a much more granular approach to compliance, but that takes time and that takes expertise. And I think that's definitely a challenge as startups are trying to build. Yeah, and um, in terms of transaction monitoring and sanctions, um, how do you see the future? And how can, you know, firms improve what they're doing and who should focus more on compliance and you know the, the crypto space is wide and there are many many actors and some we know are not complying with sanctions or others choose to do so while they're not they're not expected to what's your view on that yeah look i think we're seeing one thing we're seeing play out in real time and it's just it's all the space moves so quickly is we are seeing regulators really start to focus on sort of what is required if you want to be a licensed VASP uh, virtual asset service provider within a certain jurisdiction. 
Um, so look, I mean, many regulators have come out and, and said, if you want a license in this jurisdiction, you have to have a transaction monitoring like a uh, solution like TRM in place in order to monitor transactions, in order to do sanction screening. Um, the New York Department of Financial Services, which is really a key regulator in the U.S. and really becoming globally, uh, put guidance out to, that said just that. Um, and we've seen more and more regulators, I would say, officially and also unofficially sort of take that stance. So I think what's becoming more and more clear, you know, globally in places like, you know, the UAE and Singapore and the UK and the EU um, and really, you know, across the globe is that regulators are starting to have an expectation that crypto businesses have sophisticated um, compliance solutions in place and not just sort of, you know, first generation blockchain analytics, really kind of second generation blockchain analytics that have cross chain capabilities, for example, um, you know. Um, we realized at TRM very early on, um, you know, really when we built the tool that this is not a Bitcoin only world anymore. You don't just need to screen transactions in Bitcoin. You need to have the ability to follow the flow of funds across blockchains. And as we see this explosion in DeFi that we're talking about today, but also things like NFTs and other sort of emerging technology, you need to have that capability to follow funds across blockchains. You see all these attacks on bridges and DeFi protocols. Um, I believe nine out of the, the, the last 10 hacks, major hacks, have involved DeFi. So you need that capability to trace and track the flow of funds, what we call sort of cross-chain tracing across bridges. Um, and that's something we've enabled at TRM and are super focused on because uh, you know we're, we're beyond sort of that, that first-generation compliance Right, we need to do more as we see sophisticated actors doing more and more. Yes, and as well as the sophisticated technology, we are also seeing that OFAC and other regulators are recognizing that the risks associated with different, how to call them, actors. If a mixer uh, can be considered, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's been a hard. It's a hard to. It's been a hard to come up with what to call entity. Doesn't seem to work. Right. Uh, but yeah, decentralized <laughs> protocols, I guess. Yeah, so uh, in their designation, it seems that they're identifying um, the fact that um, mixers are a high risk. So do you see in the future OFAC and other regulators coming up to sanction or uh, limit the activity of other mixers? What do you think will happen? Well, look, I mean, when, um, when Tornado Cash was sanctioned, you saw the uh, Treasury Department sort of... Um, uh, preview that it was looking at other mixing services. But I think the reality is that it's it's very much a wait and see. You know, I think there's a question, you know, within the crypto community, and that is, was the focus on Tornado Cash because there was just so much volume involving North Korea hacked funds going through that protocol, right? Um, you know, is Tornado Cash exceptional in that respect? Or, um, you know, is Treasury going to go after um, these types of services sort of in a more aggressive way. I think there, I, 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 I believe it's going to be the, the former. I think that, that Tornado Cash was exceptional and that we are likely to see, um, we are likely not to see this type of action. Um, you know, uh, but, but the reality is um, regular users have a need to keep transactions private as, as we move into sort of a more open financial system. You know, 
um, you know, you you don't want your employer to know every transaction that you do at you know with your paycheck. Um, but the reality is, when we're paid in crypto, the the employer has that ability. Um, so people are going to want more and more privacy. They don't want uh, you know people to know every transaction they're doing, what they're buying. So I think the reality is we're going to need a balancing. And that balancing is how do we stop illicit actors from taking advantage of this financial system and at the same time not um, not prohibiting or making it very difficult for regular users to get some level of privacy. Um, and I think it's really critical. Even if you take out the national security piece, right? Let's Let's remove Lazarus Group in North Korea from this conversation. Um, as hard as that might be. But the reality is, look, if you can't put your money in a DeFi protocol or a centralized exchange or uh, on a bridge without the fear of it being hacked and stolen within a couple of days, you're not going to engage with those uh, with those entities. And um, the crypto economy is essentially not going to work. So the reality is we have to build the trust layer. We have to keep it safe. I, I think that's what, you know, that's that's our mission at TRM is to build a safer financial system. And that's sort of where our focus is, is to enable the growth of the crypto economy by keeping it safe or helping it stay safe. Um, but I, I think that's a real balancing. And we're going to see that balancing from regulators and industry um, you know, over the course of the next few years. And it's just this really interesting question. You know, In the wake of 9-11, um, we talked about sort of this debate around uh, you know, privacy and security in, in airports and in cities. And today we're having that same discussion on blockchains. And um, I think it's going to be really, it's a really interesting and really important conversation, whatever side of the spectrum you're on. It is indeed. And uh, thank you so much for sharing this future outlook. I find it very interesting as well. And just before we close, I have one last question. It can be just a sentence or a word. What would you say was most interesting for you when you were, reading and following what's going on with tomato cash what what just stood out and you found as the most peculiar thing yeah you know i i think that not so much peculiar but just like extraordinary right is 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 sort of what i just left with and that is the debate that this has sparked and it's really like you know it's the it's the important discussion of our time again this debate between privacy and security and 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 i think that you know, September 11th really spurred that in the traditional world. You know, we, we've had this conversation in airports and screening. And I think that that exact same debate is starting to happen. You saw that these Coinbase employees and, you know, filed a lawsuit against the Treasury Department uh, involving tornado cash. We've now seen um, FAQs come from uh, OFAC. So I think that like what the debate that has come from this is so important um, and I'm glad that it's taking shape, and um, I hope that it, it results in some really some some great outcomes where we can find a balancing between stopping bad actors from attacking the crypto economy, but also um, ensure that there's a level of privacy for regular users. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for today. Thank you for taking part in compliance time and in this tornado cash special. I most certainly hope that we'll be connecting uh, on other topics as well to create uh, other content together. Uh, but again, thank you very much. Really looking forward to it. Thank you and really appreciate you having me on. 
Thank you for listening to Compliance Time. If you like this episode, remember to give us a five-star review. You can now leave us a voice message or become a super compliance fan and even earn a special reward. Just go to podinbox.com slash compliance time. That is P-O-D-I-N-B-O-X dot com. If you didn't get that, the link will be in the show notes. Till next week.